at our scripture that can be found on the inside of your bulletin. Jesus continues in this conversation uh, in a banquet with some people who have invited him. It's been contentious. We've had uh, several sermons already on this. And this is the last section of Jesus uh, speaking at the banquet. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say, those who had, uh, to, say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported the things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the uh, crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The word of the Lord. Well, as you know, there are many social customs that must be followed when you are giving any sort of public gathering. Uh, we've been talking about Jesus and uh, how I could have titled any of these sermons, What Not to Do at a Dinner Party. Because Jesus has managed to rile just about every person at this dinner party. He has insulted uh, the host, telling him, don't invite simply the people who can invite you but rather invite people who can invite you. He's insulted the guests by calling out the fact that they're seeking the greatest places of honor and uh, telling them that that is not the way that they should live. Well, he's going to uh, bring the final insult in just a little bit. But there are things that we have to be wary about when we go ahead and put on our own banquets or uh, I guess the, the biggest uh, banquet often that some people put on is a wedding. And so I wanted to go out and scan the great scene eye of the internet to see some faux pas uh, that you should not do when you are holding a wedding. So I went to The Knot. I spend time there all the time hanging out. And these are some don't do's, if you will. So for instance, don't invoice your no-show guests for their entrees. After one couple was unable to make a wedding at the last minute due to a babysitter canceling, they were sent an invoice more than a month later from the newlyweds for the cost of the entrees they would have eaten had they attended. The total came to $75.90, including tax and tip. How thoughtful. Number two, don't bring a gun to a wedding. Or at least don't shoot off your gun in a wedding. I don't know if you heard the story recently about a man whose gun accidentally went off at the glitzy wedding at the New York's Waldorf Astoria Hotel. The couple later said they planned to sue the hotel for cutting their wedding short. One wedding planner said, I had an uncle of a groom stand up after the couple was pronounced and start yelling and waving his finger. How could you marry this woman? Your mother is in heaven crying. The bride went into hysterics 
The groomsmen were ready to beat him down, and I had to tell the groom's father, the brother of the badly behaved uncle, that he was not allowed near my couple and he would have to leave. It took me, the wedding planner, an hour and a half to calm the bride down so that she could enjoy the rest of her wedding. The happy part of the story is that while the couple was hiding away in my office, the very handsome groom, dressed in all the regalia of a U.S. Navy officer, knelt at his sobbing bride's feet, held her hands and said, Baby, don't worry. We're married now and there's nothing they can do about it. All's well that ends well. Nonetheless, there's are some examples of things not to do at a wedding. Well, Jesus brings the final insult, uh, if you want to call it an insult, because it can be said that truth is your friend. And Jesus is telling the truth. Jesus tells the parable of the final banquet, the banquet of heaven, and essentially communicates to these religious leaders that the truth is that you don't want to come. That your life, your religious life, is a life of show. And ultimately you will be found out. And that you will not get a taste at the final banquet. You know, the story, the key character in every story as I spend more time with the Bible is me, myself, and I. I can find myself in every story. And indeed, I find myself in several different places in this story. The question is, which one of the dinner guests am I? The proud Pharisee in all of my regalia and pomp and circumstance, who is ultimately found out to not want to go to the banquet? Or am I the poor, the blind, the lame, who has been invited in the end? Or the one even outside the city gates who comes to enjoy the feast at the banquet? The truth of the matter is we will ultimately be one of these two parties. Jesus teaches us an important truth in this parable. That Christ came to bring glory, but only to the one who realizes that they're an unworthy outcast. Jesus Christ's invitation is to come to the banquet and to embrace His grace. The question is, will we? Are we proud Pharisee? or unworthy outcast. That decision is up to you. I want to touch on three specific points in helping us to do a diagnostic on our own heart. Number one, we have to recognize our refusal. That at one time or another we are the Pharisee who has said to God, thanks but no thanks. I don't want the banquet. Or at least I don't want you to be the master of it. We must recognize our refusal. Number two, we must respond to the invitation. Not of a proud Pharisee, but rather of an unworthy outcast. We must recognize the gift of grace. We must come with bowed head, with no sandals on our feet. We must come as children who are not worthy, but who nonetheless have been called to come. And finally, we must acknowledge that we have the wonderful, wonderful privilege of being not only the participant of the banquet, but the one who goes to invite others. We also are the servant who get the great privilege of not only being in the banquet, but going and inviting others. For there is still room in the banquet feast of the master. It has not quite yet begun. Well, let's begin looking at these points. Number one, we must recognize our refusal. Well, as I said, there's a bunch of tension in the room. Jesus has insulted the guests. And decorum is so important in any sort of gathering, festive gathering. And so this, this person who is apparently embarrassed or 
trying to bring reconciliation blurts out in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This person is communicating an old Jewish adage, which essentially is communicating, look, everyone wants to be in the kingdom of God. Although we have different points, we're all religious. We're all either a rabbi or a teacher or a Pharisee. We all are uh, practicing religions. Thank goodness that we at least are all worthy to eat a feast in the kingdom of God. This man is trying to gather everyone together. And the expectation would be of any rabbi that they would all nod their head and say, yes, yes indeed, it is good to be counted worthy. It is blessed to eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. But Jesus responds to them, in fact to him right away, with a parable. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Right away we learn something about this man. He gave a banquet first of all. We need to understand that in the daily grind of life in uh, Jerusalem and Israel back then, it was day to day. Life was hard. We experienced a lot of the modern conveniences of life, but for many people it was day to day existence. You work during the day, you get paid, you sleep in your cloak. Life is a grind. And so a banquet was more than simply a meal. A meal is where you eat and you eat in order to live and you go on. No, a banquet is rather a celebration. It's a time to sit down, to enjoy, to relax, to converse as the courses go out again and again. Enjoying all of the tastes and delights and feast of life. To take a break from the grind of life. And so this man once gave not only a banquet, but a great banquet, it says. The Greek word there is uh, mega. He gave a mega banquet. It was a banquet of banquets. It was a sumptuous feast. And what did he do? He decided to invite many to this great banquet. He wanted many to participate. This tells us a lot about this man. First of all, if he can invite many, that means he can afford many. Because food has to be purchased. You don't bring your own money to the banquet. It means he had to have the facilities to be able to host a great many people. And indeed, we see at the end that this banquet is to be held at his house. And so he's wealthy. He's powerful. He's magnanimous. He wants to throw a celebration and he wants to invite many. And so he does. He invites many. Now in Eastern culture, Oriental culture, uh, Mideastern culture, you give two invitations. The way you invite someone to a banquet, they still do this in many places, is you send a servant to go to invite them first to see if they will come. The purpose, of course, of this invitation is to extend a personal invite and to know how much you have to order. Well, on the day of the banquet, again, this person goes out to invite them again. It's just part of society. The Western culture has a little bit of a different, we've sort of shortened it. We do the first invitation. The second one is right before we eat. You know, no one at a banquet where there's a sit down, you go ahead and sit, you wait, and then somebody comes out and says, dinner is served. And that's when you go and you sit down. We do two invitations, we just do it a little bit different. And so, this is what's going on. Now additionally, in this culture, we need to understand that there is a culture of reciprocation. 
What that means is, if you invite someone to a banquet, they're ultimately supposed to invite you to a banquet. If you give someone a gift, they are supposed to give you a gift. It's sort of tit for tat. It's both things. We were actually in Japan, my son and I recently visiting uh, with a missionary we support, and he was having a very difficult time because he wanted to give children's Bibles to all of his, uh, his son's friends because they were holding an end-of-the-year school party. But the problem with it was he knew that a lot of people weren't going to accept it because to accept it was to obligate themselves to give back. It's a reciprocal culture. And so this, you wouldn't actually invite people who couldn't pay you back to the banquet because that would be rude. You would force them to refuse. And so who is he inviting? He's inviting people of his similar social status. Uh, status of his social class. That's the thing that you do. And so he invites these people and we can see that they're rather wealthy people. They're of good reputation. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, this is the day come now for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. On the day, the food's been purchased, mind you. They all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Well, this is a horrible excuse. Everyone would know that. The people around the table would be laughing because in the land of Palestine, most of the land is desert. And so agricultural land is extremely valuable. Okay, you don't go, you, you have to look at the land, how it drains, how it sits with the sun, you have to spend time painstakingly examining the land before you buy it. It's not like all land is good. It would be the same thing as in the pre-internet days. You calling up your wife before dinner and saying, Honey, I, I bought a house and I'm going to go take a look at it. No, you examine the land before you buy it. But this man has the audacity to say, Look, I just bought a field. I'm going to go take a look at it. Now, if he didn't want to go to the banquet, he could certainly at least have lied better. Right? Oh, I'm so sorry. We've been in negotiations for over a year on this property. And he said to me, if we don't come to an agreement tonight on this property, then all is lost. Please forgive me. I beg you, forgive me. At least there, the one who invited him could save face. Because this is all about honor and shame. But this man does nothing of this. Please excuse me. Well, the servant goes on. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Again, if you understand the culture, this is a bold-faced lie. Okay, buying oxen, okay, each a thousand pounds each, you have to test them out before. Because if one oxen is unequally yoked to the other, they're useless. They must be able to pull at the same strength. They must be able to tire at the same rate. And so you are very, very careful at examining and putting oxen through their paces before you buy them. And yet what this man is saying is, I've bought these oxen sight unseen, and I'm going to examine them now. Another slap in the face of this person. Finally, and another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. 
He doesn't even say, please excuse me. It's tantamount to, um, we just married, and it's honeymoon time. And if you translate that into a crude understanding and equivalent, there's a sacredness to it. But there's an examination and going to examine. You get what's going on, what this man is saying? I've got a girl in the back room, essentially. I don't have time for you. I can't come. Now, my question for you is this. The servant, it says, came and reported these things to his master. Well, he's only asked three people. It's a banquet for many people, right? Why only three people? Why not ask some others? Because their response is so obvious. The servant understands. The fix is in. There's a collusion between the people. The goal is to destroy this banquet. To make sure it doesn't happen at all. And indeed, to do it in such a way that a person's position in society is determined by society. That by all of the other equals doing this to the man, they're essentially looking to shame him and to topple him from his position in society. The fix is in. And so the servant goes back to his master and reports. Now what is Jesus saying in this parable? Remember he's speaking to these Pharisees, these other teachers of the law. What he's saying is, this is exactly what you're doing. You're giving lip service to me, inviting me here, calling me this teacher. But what you're doing is colluding together. I am the son of the master who has invited you to the banquet in the, in the kingdom of God. But what you're communicating to me is we repudiate your position. We repudiate your master. He is not our master and we don't want to come to his banquet. The fix is in. It's easy to laugh at the Pharisees as Jesus sees through their hollow hypocritical actions. But can we not look at our own world and see the same thing? Forget even our world. Let's just look at our country. Our country acknowledges God. In fact, God is the foundation of the rights that we have. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? All men are created equal. The United States was not designed to be a Christian nation but it certainly was designed to be a religious nation. And anyone who objectively looks at the history of our country sees that the foundation of our rights is based on the Bible. The God that they're talking about is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Trinitarian God. But when we look at our education system, our education system is secular designed to stamp out any mention or idea of God. We have in God we trust on our money. What a hypocritical statement. What about even our churches, our religion? It's astounding as I look at many of the denominations that are the mainline denominations, the foundations of Christianity and the lip service they give to this one Jesus Christ. 
or the religious teachers in our universities who staff the Jesus seminar who come together every year and sit in judgment of which words Jesus said and which he doesn't see our country our world wants the banquet we just don't want the master but what about ourselves the Bible very clearly says for all have rebelled and fall short of the glory of God that every one of us has said to God we don't want you to be Lord over me I'm in charge of my life the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength and this is love for God to obey his commandments have we sat in a position of submission to God or do we come into a place like this sit in judgment on his commands choosing what we like do we substitute much like these people with their half-baked excuses other idols it's my possessions my field my oxen that have my heart it's my business it's my possessions my car my boat my house that's where I worship it's my relationships my spouse my boyfriend my girlfriend my social circle that determines my wealth I will live according to those tenets not according to yours sure I want the banquet but I don't want the master we are in the same place as these religious teachers but what is the response of God the master became angry he changes the tense for I tell you none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet see up to now it's just been a parable right this man he talking to his servant but Jesus turns and tells them I tell you none of the men who were invited shall taste my banquet reminds me of a story of our son Mark when he was young everybody thinks Mark was perfect he was far from it he was a sinner just like everyone else there was a time when Mark put his foot down so to speak I can't even remember what it was you know he, he was sitting down outside but he was standing up inside you can't make me do this if you will go to your room alright I'll go to my room I'll stay here forever but we knew Mark's weak spot right Mark loved to read and so what do we do as cruel parents we walked in Mark thought he had us beat and we started to carry out each one of his treasured books in his bookshelf he would sit there alone if he didn't want to be a part of our banquet he would have misery in his room we're just parents who knows if we did the right thing his illiteracy haunts us to this day just kidding but the point being that's sort of the way we we're gonna have our own banquet we're gonna do our own thing you know what's going on with all this globalism stuff someone's wondering with Britain and with what's going on right here I'll tell you what's going on seen it before happened with a certain tower on the plains of Shinar let us come together we'll build a tower and we'll make a name for ourselves we don't need any God we think we would have figured this out by World War one or two of the depravity of man of our need for God above us 
But no. But God says, you cannot have the banquet without the master. What's the point I'm trying to make? I ask the question, why are you here today? This may be the most dangerous place to be. Because to be here, you said yes to the first invitation, right? Come into the house of God. Come and listen. Come and hear. But have you said yes to the second? Oh, I'll listen. But I won't bow my knee to any master. I am a rock. I am an island. I did it my way. God is not fooled. We must recognize, my friends, that there is one God. There's one master. And it's not us. We are the sheep, the people of his pasture. We don't even have control over our lives. We don't even know if we're going to live out the day. So what God is saying, what I am communicating to you is we must recognize that he is the master. We must see the excuses that we make for not submitting to his rule. He will only be first. Just bought a house or working on my business or getting married doesn't work in the scheme of God because there's only one place that God will take in your life and that's first. So the first thing you must do, my friends, is settle once and for all who will be king. Will it be me? Will it be the crowd? Or will it be the Messiah? This brings me to my second point. It's only when we recognize our refusal that we can receive His grace. The master of the house does something very interesting. He became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now, he should have, could have said something else. See, in an honor-shame culture, he could aim for retribution, right? You have wronged me. I have the resources. You think you can take me down. But I have the moral upper hand, and so I will exact my revenge upon you. But he doesn't do that at all. He responds with grace. Instead of going back to those people, he says to the servant, go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The streets and the lanes, it represents sort of the ghetto areas of the city, out by the wall, not the old sections of the city. It's where the people of lesser means reside. In fact, we even have a list, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, this is social suicide. Nobody does anything like that. He's basically saying that I'm going to pull myself down with those people. What they don't understand is that this master is not bound by society. His worth is not determined by the opinions that others make of him. For he is worth itself. It is he who determines the worth of others. And so what is his criteria for people coming to the banquet? Is it the fact that they can reciprocate? No. It's that they want to come for the right reason. See, this group can't repay. They can't reciprocate. They can't give in kind. And because of that, they can see the invitation for what it is. It's a gift of grace. It's a bestowal of value and worth. See, these Pharisees, they're approaching Jesus as equals. But not these people. 
They know their status. And this is why Jesus went to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the marginal of society. The ones who had been told, the ones who knew, I don't deserve to come into the banquet of a righteous man. Because if they came, they would come with an entirely different attitude. One with no hidden motives. No calculation of how am I going to pay this back. Simply a heart to enjoy the benefactor, the gracious gift of the master to be in his presence. I want to show you a video real quick. The opportunity to go to a video. Our daughter Maria is involved with a special needs camp. And this was a banquet that was had at, uh, I forget the name of the school, it's an elementary school. And the people who are at this banquet are the kids and their parents. The kids are special needs kids, whether it's Down syndrome or a variety of other physical maladies or intellectual disabilities. There's here at the banquet, and just about every single one of them has somebody who is feeding them because they can't feed themselves. And I tell you, it was wonderful to walk through this banquet and to see the enjoyment on these kids' face. There was no calculation. There was no, what am I getting out of this? I hate this. There was simple enjoyment as they were waited upon. You know, truth of the matter is these people aren't invited to a whole lot of banquets. It's one of the reasons I love Young Life Capernaum, by the way, which Ryan Rico is involved with. It's Young Life for folks just like that. See, I kind of picture this banquet and it looks something like that. People who no one else would invite. Why? What, are they, what can they give back? Why would the reason the master invite them? Because they would truly enjoy the master. I think at the end of the day, this is all about love. It's all about a God who loves people, who is saying to them, come, be in my presence. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And yet they refuse to come. It's about finding lost people. You know, the irony of this whole story is it's the self-righteous that are blind. They're the handicapped ones because they can't see that they're desperately in need of grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the invitation is all about grace. It's a message where God says, I love you because of who you are. Come to the family banquet. Come and be honored. Come and rejoice. There are no hidden motives. There are no hidden agendas. It's only one requirement. You must come poor and crippled and blind and lame. You must come empty, in need of love, in need of acceptance by God. At the end of the day, there really is only one thing that we can give away. Everything else doesn't belong to us, though we have the illusion it does. The one thing that I can get, bring to give away is my heart. And so the master said, go. See if anyone will come. Bring them into my house. 
the message of Jesus Christ is that he came to bring glory and honor to the unworthy outcast. Will you come to the banquet? Will you embrace his grace? Will you experience true forgiveness and freedom? That God loves you and accepts you simply because he wants to. That's the message of the gospel. The Pharisees didn't get it. But the blind and the poor and the lame and the broken did. This brings me to my final point. The servant. I love the servant. Servant has no idea what's going on. The master's breaking every social convention. But he knows the master knows what he's doing. And so he goes and he does what the master tells him. He brings in the, the blind, the poor, the crippled, the lame. And he observes in this great house, there's still room. Surely other people could enjoy this also. And so he taps on the shoulder of the master. Hey, master. Sir, curie in Greek, Lord. What you commanded has been done, but there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that the house may be filled. See, the servant caught a vision that there's still room, still more rejoicing to be had. He sees what could be, but where else can he go? The master knows. Go out of the city. The hedges and the byways are outside. Not even the Jewish poor and blind and lame, but all the rest those people that have no place in the kingdom of God. Compel them to come in. You know, that word has been used wrong in Christianity. It doesn't mean physically compel them to come in. It means you have to convince them because they understand that there's no way that they should be able to come in. They have nothing to reciprocate. The proper thing to do is to politely decline. No, 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 you don't understand. It's not that kind of banquet. Convince them by showing them the character of the master. Go into the world. Is that not a picture of the purpose of Redeemer Presbyterian? Those who rejoice and those who seek. There are many in the streets Many who are poor that you would never be able to tell by looking at them in their beautiful house. Many who are outcast. But they're just lost. They just don't know his name. They just don't believe it could be true. Have you come into the banquet house? Have you tasted the grace? Then let us go out into the highways and the byways compelling, convincing by the joy and peace we experience in the midst of a grinding world that God loves us and that we are honored and there is a final feast to be had in the kingdom of God where the last shall be first and the least shall be greatest. Jesus came into this world to give glory to the unworthy guest I hope you understand that that's you and me. I hope you've come in. 
and are just now even beginning to taste the grace of such a master who would give his own son that we might have eternal life. Let's pray. Amazing grace, how sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. Was blind but now I see. Lord, give us eyes to see that we are unworthy to come into your banquet hall, that we have nothing that we can give back. In fact, all that we've given is rebellion. Lord, but you are gracious and kind. And so, Lord, let us enter with only our hearts. Let us taste the grace, receive your forgiveness, and use us, Lord, in such a way that we might convince others through who you are and what you've done that there is a place where they can find that all that they've been looking for if they would bow their knee to the King. We pray all of this in Christ's name.